0: There's a man in that bush someplace.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is. He's hiding. Is he there yet? No. Oh.
2: It, it...
1: It's like the talking, the talking bush. It sounds like sort of biblical.
0: If the bush sets on fire at some point. <laughs> I know, I know. Maybe we can turn this recording off. And or should I
1: switch the- my... Oh, no, hold on. Should I turn the video on and off?
0: Yes, try your video turned on and off.
2: Did
0: that not do? There. Be- there. Okay. So, anyway, uh, before it took a minute to get the video started, we... Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, the marvelous small change in the relationship between you and your daughter in the sense of each one catching the other one being grumpy. Aha, uh-huh, I see you. I see yeah. you grumpy. I like that. I like, in fact, that's a better, I, I even like that better than I ha uh, see I, I, I see you, Mara. It's, uh, I see you grumpy. <laughs> And so uh, that's, that's good. And you also mentioned that sometimes you can't see it, not waking up in time. And then that's when we get deeper into the, uh, the dukkha. And then we have uh, a different kind of wake up that is like um, the difference between uh, sort of waking up at the top of the ledge before we step off versus waking up after we crash fresh landed. Mm. But there's another way of looking at it in the sense of kind of going downhill and how far down into it or how many times do we have to repeat it before we actually do see the suffering, that we actually do see what's going on and then wake up. The whole quality that we're practicing is to be able to wake up sooner and sooner to the dukkha rather than having to uh, deal with it at its depths.
1: Mm. So you're sort of waking up to the possibility of it mm-hmm. rather than the kind of like manifested reality of it.
0: Right. Or waking up to how bad it can get rather than how bad it's gotten.
2: Because
0: mm. it's the. The process
1: that I was describing to you before of kind of being able to view um, kind of interpersonal relationships through that that uh, that view, where there is not kind of individual selves um, making other individual selves feel certain ways, but rather that there is kind of conditions which cause certain behaviors to arise and that you can respond to those conditions and those behaviors skillfully that process is like very joyous it becomes very playful and it's very it's like life is like um it's real it's like a dance isn't it it's like you're 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 in this you're in Samsara, you're in the, the kind of cycles of up and down, you're in difficult you're in you're in the world of, of other people, you're in the world of it all, but you are in it dancing, you are in it smiling, mm-hmm. you are not Yeah.
0: Right. Actually there are some martial arts movies that take on that kind of a theme. In the sense of at the beginning of the movie they will have uh, very good fighters like black belts okay yeah. and they're they're ready to go and they're standing and they're getting ready to fight and they dance around each other and then they start fading and all of that kind of stuff okay but later in the movie it's time to bring the old master out this is the movie you know mm-hmm. and when he comes out on the stage he still is dan- uh, with the guy uh, the, uh, the black belt the one who's showing their power and dancing around and getting ready for the fight. But the old guy's just standing there. (laughs) He may even look around the room and say, what is this guy? (laughs) And so uh, that's, that's where that confidence that we're talking about, it can get to that level Mm -hmm. that we can joyously uh, take that on. Now, this is not, This is not martial arts in the way that karate is, but this is martial arts of the mind. Mm. That we know that we can handle things very well. But this is kind of later. The question is first, can we see Dukkha? Mm. (laughs) And that, uh, Kind of the point that I'm making is is that it's at, a, it, it is at different levels for different folks, different folks for different strokes. Some people have to really do it. Uh, possibly an easy example is Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. His story mm-hmm. is, is that he felt so bad mm-hmm. and his life was so miserable, he just decided to quit and sit down on the park bench and he stayed on that park bench till it didn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, probably he was doing something that could be put into the framework of Anapanasati, including beginning to watch what was going on around him rather than watching uh, all of the misery that got him to the park bench. Eventually, he's going to uh, refocus and change his attention because something's got to change. Other than that, people can sit on a park bench and just feel bad a lot of people try that long time just sit feel bad Mm. and uh, uh, kind of pine for uh, what it might have been like or pine for some help or something Mm. but basically there's a state of misery so Mm. in this regard the question is Kind of the question would be for Eckhart Tolle is how far do you have to understand suffering before you figure out that you, it's time to get out of it?
2: Mm.
0: When do we begin to make the choice that we can really see the dukkha? And better is when we're six and seven years old, because then we have a good life ahead of us. When they can begin to figure out that we can blame if we don't have to um, uh, be in in a pouting mood, a pity party, or whatever, that we can wake up out of that and feel good, our choice. Kids mm-hmm. have that choice too, mm-hmm. but they and I find pity. Sometimes I don't understand why she makes the choice to feel bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they do. <laughs>
1: it's interesting that that the like the the primacy you know with it being the first noble truth of suffering um on the path because it it's like the foundation isn't it is really looking at that dukkha and, and mm-hmm. understanding how it arises experiencing it and kind of saying actually i don't choose dukkha <laughs>
0: Exactly, that's the chase of how much of it do I have to see before I said already we're going to do something about this.
2: Mm.
0: We're going to fix this mess. Mm. Or the next point would be, "Uh uh-huh, I just fixed that mess. Come on again, come on again, I'm ready for you. (laughs) And so that kind of attitude then of the change doesn't require uh, and some people think this I've actually seen it in print oh well you said you were not a Buddha that means that you really don't understand suffering the way the Buddha taught it therefore you do not understand suffering therefore you are no good or you lose the argument or whatever like that Uh, and that's very strange Mm -hmm. Uh, because first off. That dukkha is not the teaching of the Buddha. Nowhere you will ever find that. If there is any one place where there is a very succinct way of saying the teachings of the Buddha, it would be dukkha, dukkha, Naroda. Yeah. Not just dukkha, 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 uh, dukkha, dukkha.
1: Well, yeah, but it, people, I, I often hear Buddhism, the teachings of the Buddha, very in, very basically misunderstood by people. Say, oh, Buddhism, you know, Buddhism is just obsessed with suffering and just sees everything as suffering. You often get people within kind of who practice like within like yoga, kind of Hindu yoga traditions, tantra traditions, who kind of willfully misunderstand Buddhism. I feel like that, which is somewhat annoying. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time, though. I feel like the the fact that the the kind of honest recognition that there is suffering is so vital to it because until you have, until that is understood, you can't start moving away from it, right? Like if people are kind of quite blindly going, well, no, it's not that bad, without really doing any investigating, without really having any kind of level of mindfulness of their Feelings and how their feelings manifest and of their behaviors. And do you know what I mean? Then they can mm-hmm. quite blandly go through a life which is actually pretty, you know, quite full of suffering, kind of going, no, everything's
0: fine. So it, that, the- that's, a, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Uh, that perspective, it would be like in the context that I just spoke is, is that only the Buddha knows suffering, really knows it. And that crying child does not know suffering. That child is ignorant of suffering. No, the guy who just said that's the one who's ignorant of the suffering, that child knows that suffering. Yeah, that's he just doesn't
1: necessarily have a context within which he can use that suffering to move towards uh, flourishing and the mm-hmm. letting go of suffering. That's what you need the Buddha for. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, actually, what we need to Buddha for is to say, look at what you're doing.
2: Yeah,
0: that's that's the wake up call is to wake up and look at what you're doing, including um, look at look at the way that you create suffering over and over and over again. We create suffering. One of the ways we create suffering is by putting identification upon ourselves. We do that a lot. We identify with political parties, we identify with ideals, we identify with uh, religions, and we even identify with labels like within Buddhism. Oh, I'm a Zodopan, or oh, I'm an Erhard, or oh, I'm a Samasambuddhasa, you know. And the problem with giving oneself labels like that is, is that you've almost pointed a target on your back. You've mm. almost put on enemy's clothing and are walking out in public That them mm. fighting words when people claim things. Mm. Uh, in, in fact, that was the problem with the uh, uh, in the time of, uh, and before of Jesus was what's a Messiah? Mm. Anybody who claims to be a Messiah probably is not the real deal. Mm. Or in that regard also, uh, uh, the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao.
2: Mm.
0: Or in in that regard, those who have something, uh, (laughs) let's say it this way, those who have wisdom will have enough wisdom to not make such a big target of themselves Mm. because they're inviting uh, people to attack them, so we have to be careful to not um, identify and advertise that identification. <laughs> so right in the beginning, we're actually um, uh, inviting attack. Later, what what happens <laughs> is someone who is claiming to be something that they're that they may felt like they were at the time, but then they put it in print and now later they go back and say, hmm, was that really a good idea for me to say that or not? Do I really feel like that I'm up to the standard that I have now?
1: Mm. So it's kind of inviting, inviting trouble from both without and within. So it's kind of, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And yet those maps, those attainments that they are there to be used skillfully, right? Like skillfully used, the idea is that they are a helpful tool for understanding where, you, where your work lies, where your... Precisely.
0: Think of, the, think of those uh, uh, labels and the definitions and meanings of those labels Is nothing more than mile markers. Mm. And the mile marker is only useful when you see the mile marker, when you arrive at that point, And you can say, okay, this is what's happening. This is where we are. This is the mile marker. Mm. But going around and making up magical mile markers that I can pick up and throw at other people, that's not a good idea.
1: Or getting to the mile marker, building yourself a, a castle there. Mm-hmm. With a moat and a banner.
0: Yes, exactly. exactly. Uh Uh That's just a different analogy for throwing the mile marker at other people. Yes, exactly. It's the same thing. Um, So uh, it's better than to not get into the kind of arguments where one claims something because they're only making a target of themselves and that. The thing that's kind of funny is the guys who are most likely to claim a label for themselves are the very guys who do not quite understand the technical definitions that many Asians will use to say, well, if he's claiming that label, that means he's got these qualities, da, 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 da. Does this guy have this quality, Da. Does he have that one, Da. Do I see him behaving in such a way that he proves that he does not have this one at all? Mm -hmm. You know, and so uh this is this is what what we do when we set up ourselves we make ourselves targets but what happens in thailand is something completely different Mm. and that's all uh there is a word of mouth but it's almost like one private conversation to another um this happened years ago but uh brenda told me that uh i think his name was His name is Pramarut, the other guy that I don't know, but an elderly monk was talking to an elderly Thai man on uh, the boat going between the island and and the mainland. And and Brenda was there accompanying the monk and she overheard his conversation and she was aghast because uh, the monk and the layman were discussing among each other, not in the way of one was telling the other one about it and no, it was something that they were mutually discussing and that was that their belief was that Achan uh, Po was in fact an arahat. And she didn't understand that whole point at all. But when I finally explained to her, no, there are definite things to look for. There are in fact lists of fetters mm-hmm. and, and so uh, over time, you can actually see whether a person has a particular fetter or not, Mm. when you get to know them. And when people get to know Ajahn Po, right? Right, exactly. And when people get to know Ajahn Po over time, many, many people get to know Ajahn Po and to see that, in fact, he doesn't go around asking people for things. Mm. Nor does he say, I don't have time for you. I've got to go someplace else. Nor does he uh, uh, reject gifts, so he's neither asking for gifts nor does he reject them. Mm. Okay. So when you see, and and another one which would be a very important one, he never takes control of anyone, tells them what to do, or competes with them at all.
2: Mm.
1: I suppose it's interesting that like. Um, monastic community and the idea of the sangha and because the buddha are very definite about setting that up right as a kind of ideal a container within which to awaken
2: mm-hmm. probably
1: one of the aspects of that is you know especially in kind of like modern western life where we're very compartmentalized you know yes. there's it's it's probably harder to to really deeply apply these teachings to kind of all areas of our lives because our lives are so compartmentalized. Whereas within a kind of monastic community living together, you have, mm-hmm. no, I can imagine, I can, I can see how it would feed into um, a more kind of consistent, cohesive,
0: I don't know. Pre- yeah. precisely I- precisely so um in fact that that whole point that you're making is very very well known that's the re- rationale behind it so let's let's kind of take it from the very beginning the very beginning is at that point of nurture versus nature and that um beyond uh a certain point, everything becomes nurture. Now, that nurture is either going to come from the outside or from the inside. And so, when we begin to see, oh, boundless joy, to find at last that this old world, um, there is no happiness in this world. We have to see that from various aspects. So, this is this is the rationale behind social workers taking children away from parents which is a brutal thing to do and i don't recommend it but some people think that it's a good thing another example that we're talking about is is that when a guy joins the aa and wants to quit drinking it's best for him to get away from his old drinking buddies Mm -hmm. when a guy gets married after he has the bachelor's party that means that now he's going to have new friends. It's almost a goodbye party because everybody knows he's married now. He's not going to be hanging out with his bachelor buddies. The same thing happens when someone is recruited into the army, the army wants to get them out of the house away from the family so that they could really work on them. Mm. By the way, cults and other religions do the same thing including Buddhism. Okay, to get people out of their old environment and get them in a new environment, and depending upon the uh, which one it is and the opinions of whether it's a better, more wholesome environment mm. or a less than wholesome environment. Mm. So I would recommend to go to some temples and not others, and not the military for sure. <laughs> 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 um. But this is, this is the idea, then, is that the environment has a major influence on us. Hmm. And that uh, we can actually introduce a word, which would be the word immersion. Hmm. For instance, if someone really learned, wants to learn a new language, the right way to do it is don't take a class on it to where you know 30 people in that class nobody knows that language only one teacher knows that language is not a way to learn that language sure. no the best way to learn the language is to go to that country and no one speaks your language and now you've got to immerse into and learn the the language that is happening uh in your location
1: yeah it's, it's um, an amazing experience doing that it's so uh yeah, I've ha- I've had that experience before, and it is it's a very like rich learning and also like social
0: experience. Just just coming to Thailand is like that, as well as the Thai language. Mm. But then there is the immersion into the Wat also, and becoming part of the Wat life is also that kind of immersion, and that. Um, I have actually over the years seen this happen and I could describe it in a way of a young man for some reason becomes a monk and for some reason stays a monk and he's not particularly doing or caring anything about being a monk other than he's a monk and that he goes on to and he does what other monks do and whatnot like that but he may in fact be deeply interested in motorcycles. And so he's got little motorcycle magazines that he's out all the time with, but he puts it back in his pocket. Okay. But 20 years in the Sangha is going to be enough for that Dhamma in the environment he's in to rub off on him so that he's actually going to be a, a, a high quality Sarah, whether he did anything about it or not, when you're fully immersed into uh, uh, the system. Mm. And so that whole quality of being immersed has a profound value, especially when you're around folks like Vika Buddha Dasa Nachan Oh, Because we tend to say I would rather be like them than be like me. Mm. And so uh, that really has an an enormous value for us to be able to have an environment where we have, when we're where we are around others and so what we have though in the West is a number of folks claiming that they were a Buddha but that they have not spent much or any time at all with old master teachers that they've decided in their own mind that they are uh, some master Mm. and and
1: (sighs) I'm reminded of a really, really silly quote that a, a football manager once said. He said, everyone's got the prettiest wife
0: when they're at home. <laughs> that's, yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Because if you're not
1: testing the hypothesis of your awakening or attainment within the kind of like context of community and relationship, right? Mm-hmm then it's uh, possibly a very kind of fragile awakening, if it
0: mm-hmm. uh Yes, it, it will let us say that it is partial rather than fragile. Mm. Because we wake up to things, some of, sometimes slowly. Mm. And so there can be epiphanies, there can be awakenings, there can mm-hmm. be major changes in one's life, but uh, that, those changes, which um, let us say be, may be necessary but not sufficient, mm-hmm. the student becomes confused and says, not only were these changes that happened to me necessary, but, they, uh, but they're also sufficient and that they're required in the sense that there may not be another method, that there may be other things that are sufficient. Hence the point about the uh, uh, the guy on the park bench, uh, Eckhart Tolle, and others who say that, well, I my experience is like Eckhart Tolle you know I don't need the boot I don't need your scriptures I don't need your wad I don't need your uniforms I don't need your book I don't need anything but I am because I've done something that included a whole lot of suffering Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and then they decided not to suffer and that relief from no longer suffering at the level that they were gives them that kind of freedom that then puts them over a hill that they haven't yet climbed but it puts them over it mentally so they will go around claiming things Overestimation. go ahead when you're talking
1: about being sufficient you're talking about those insights and or trainings being sufficient enough in their depth and in their kind of strength to be consistent is that what you mean by sufficient like
0: yes well they think that they're They think that they're sufficient when, in fact, really what's happening is it's not well tested. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't gone through really heavy stress tests yet. It hasn't been. You need to get children. (laughs) That's a good stress test. (laughs) (laughs) We we can both agree on that. The question is not so much our children stressful, but the question really is: is how can we get these poor children out of their stress? <laughs> we see that they manufacture it even when we don't advise them to. So you can imagine how stressful kids get when it, <laughs> when people are actually adding to it.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: again is that environment. We need to be able to change the environment to a more wholesome environment for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because this environment is not, and and people know that, there's a lot of knowledge of dukkha going on right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot of waking up to a whole lot of dukkha going on. The question is, how long and how deep and how much suffering do people need to do before they wake up to we got to change something here and we're not talking about changing by going out on protest on the streets because the problem is not outside and it never was anyway. (laughs) The problem, the solution to the problem is not to be found out there getting our heads bashed in by the cops. And so, uh, but rather to leave that environment completely, to stay out of that because it's generally unwholesome. Let's go find a wholesome place to be. Mm. One of the things on this regard the Buddha said was that there are four kinds of places where monks should not dwell. One is in a flood, another one is in a famine, another one is when there are pestilence, and another one is when there's war which means if the monk finds himself in a war zone, get out of it. Go someplace where there's no war, where there's peace. If he finds a pestilence, go away. Well, right now, that's what we have in many places around the world. We've got both of them at the same time. We've got war on the streets, mm. and we've got pestilence. Mm. And the right way to deal with both of them is to get away from both of them. Stay away uh and we can think of that okay well if that's true at that physical level that also that also means at that, that emotional level also to begin to recognize that stuff and to stay away from it how much do i have to suffer before i wake up mm. for me it seems like
1: it's about like how my question is kind of like how often does that muscle need to be flexed before it becomes kind of more automatic? (laughs) And Uh, I I suppose it's really an answerable question. It's just the process, right? Like, it's what it is. Yes,
0: but it is kind of answerable. the The way that Alexander Schwarzenegger, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger, answered it. You know, before he was a real actor, he was Mr. Universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did he get that way? He was in the gym all day long. Yeah. Day in and day out, all day long, pumping iron. That's what it's going to take. If you're going to be a championship um Dama dude, now we don't have to be a championship Dama dude, but we do have to stay in the gym of the mind a lot pumping iron. What is the iron that we pump? Coming out of the gravitational pull into Dukkha and coming in and brighten up and cheering up. Mm. And you can think of that just like pumping iron, you know? It's like, ah, I'm tired. Ah, I feel good. Yeah, I'm tired. Ah, I feel good. Mm. And we have to keep, remember, we have to keep pumping iron because the only option Uh, is split it a flaccid mind
1: Mm. it's interesting that uh, the sits that I have now where like I'm where there's a lot of dullness or there's a lot of restlessness okay my like my relationship to those sits is is so radically different from how it used to be like those sits used used to really annoy me I used to kind of, you know, 10 minutes into a sit and there's like this kind of like very heavy dullness. It used to, it used, to it used to, really annoy me. Whereas now it's like, you know, a, skillfully apply whatever uh, antidotes to that dullness, you know, that you can. But then ultimately, if the most of the sit is just feeling dull, pulling yourself out of dull, feeling dull, pulling yourself out of dull, I get to the end of this sit and I feel like it, like that that muscle has been practiced and it's like really useful, like a mm-hmm. really really useful sit. And then similarly with restlessness, when it's you know just, it feels like a very like beginnerish sit sometimes when like oh. the mind just wanders, you can't really stay very long. Fine, just keep coming back, wander, come back, wander, come back, and it's not like unskillful accepting of hindrance you're you're trying to to kind of stay uh as well as you can but you're ultimately relaxed about the outcome and enjoy the process even though it's different from the way that the meditative process might unfold in other conditions but it's just very different my relationship to it i used to get really annoyed Upset, angry.
0: Because you wanted it to be different than it was. Yeah.
1: Yesterday, I had this experience in meditation. Uh-huh. Today, so, you know, not so good.
0: Um, yeah, so that pumping iron, or never mind if the dullness comes, or never mind if we wander away from, from the breath, keep coming back, keep flexing that uh, that uh, sati muscle keep getting it stronger and and quicker because the stronger and quicker it gets the deeper our insights will be yes into the nature of suffering before it has to be much suffering that it can be very 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 lightweight suffering and that's when we begin to get really good is because we catch it so fast that we could throw it out before it's much suffering at all. You don't have to get all the way into it. That's a slow, mm-hmm. hard method. Well, that's when uh,
1: my, I, I always sit before I phone you. And, um, <laughs> and I mostly sit after I phone you as well. <laughs> but um, before before we spoke, the tail end of sitting and sitting with the steps of uh, an anapanasati. And like in that fourth tetrad, and just um, kind of in this state of like very expansive, uh, clear, bright mind, and just kind of like watching it as it kind of contracts around something, and it's like these little like micro movements of Buddha, and then letting it go. But the, the the letting it go acts as like rocket fuel to the expansion. And the kind of joy of that expansive mind—it's yes. almost like it's the contrast to the, the the slight suffering involved in contracting around something in your mental landscape. And the, the, it's that that contraction is selfing, right? To a certain extent, going around that thought or that feeling is somehow like pulling together a self out of that expanse, and then realizing that and letting it go, just like powers. The, the the expanse again the expansion.
0: That's well said. I like that, especially the part that that um, the the letting go it is almost like reapplying the energy that's doing the contracting. Mm. So that now it, it 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 expands. It's like almost like we've been pushing on the spring. And mm. when we recognize we've been pushing on the spring and we let go, the spring pops back out. <laughs>
2: mm. Mm.
1: Yes. For me, I, uh, yeah, my, my, my kind of interest, my obsession at the moment is just like trying, is like wanting to apply that as much, as deeply as possible in in all my relationships and in all my like in daily life, and but it's like I feel like I'm at a point in that process where like where sometimes it's as I was describing, sometimes it's great and there's this like sense of like joyfully dancing in in it all, and then other times it's not. That's not I. It's it seems to not be available. That view, even if there's sati, even if there's sati enough there to go yes, there's suffering right now. I'm reacting. Um, even if there's like an awareness during it, it doesn't seem quite like there's the, like the, sp- the, the, the spring action isn't quite. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's
0: a little bit later in the, in the process. And it is also, uh, it's not a complete letting go. That's kind of the way of looking at it. Mm. that it, we don't give it a chance to actually spring back out we was we're compressing and then we recognize that we're continuing to uh compress it uh but we don't quite let it all out yet yes. we don't let go we don't just <laughs> <laughs> almost as if we're not used to letting go we're used to holding and pushing and mm. and and struggling and so yeah.
1: and that's what i realized
0: in the in the like
1: interpersonal dynamics i see like sometimes when there is like conflict or or other people's actions or behavior kind of push against me and upset me my the, when it gets bad is when i push back and it's like it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, I'm not letting it go. It gets to a point where like, it's barbed me, like the hooks are in and I am like barbing right back and it's not letting it go. And mm-hmm. it... Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you have now also experienced it the other way.
1: Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it's like, it makes it more apparent the experience of those yeah the the seeing uh it in action in normal life in interpersonal relationships seeing how that mechanism can bring a joyous sense of like unattached ease and skill to those relationships and to those situations makes me more aware of the times when uh when that's not available and the suffering that ensues
0: well uh, when we get down to the depths of it this is this is kind of an idea that i think people have is, is that if they keep pressing the spring and keep going further and further into the dukkha getting themselves into the shape that uh, eckhart tolle got himself into uh Kind of means that they're, we're so so compressed that when we begin to take a look at it, we say, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. And then when we start to let go, it gets out of hand and it just explodes. And that's when they have the idea, oh, that, that's what, you know, not, oh, wow, what a relief it is. But that's a big, such a big relief that it's an all time, all lasting relief. And that's when they begin to claim I am Buddha, when in fact no, they've just had a major major release.
2: Hmm.
0: But they'll they, go back to pressing that thing again.
2: <laughs> they, they need, need to keep
0: it. watching doing that. yeah, till they begin to recognize wait a minute, I can't let it go over and over and over again.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean I I uh... To me, that kind of gradual building up of that makes a lot more sense. It's kind of it. it seems it seems like how I'm experiencing it. Like the changes that I've seen in my life, uh, say in the last year, they they seem to be from these quite um, say mundane is not quite the right word, but it's like um, like quotidian. Like, um, I don't know that one. <laughs> uh, it means they, uh, like mundane, I suppose, works like uh-huh. a mundane buildup of um insight rather than through like kind of big lightning strike moments.
0: Right. It's like all of the straws on the camel's back before the last straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. Okay, how many straws do we have to put on that poor old camel before it finally bites? Mm. And and so. That's the way of looking at it. We don't have to let it build up so qu- so much. In fact, the more we understand, the more we want to be gentle with that poor camel and not load too much on it.
1: Yes, and also like different situations in life, right? Like Eckhart Tolle was a single man with no um, responsibilities. You know, he, he could allow himself to get to a kind of suicidal level of suffering and then have a kind of like, you know, similarly sized release
0: you know, I, no, I you could you could too. <laughs> you could you could walk out of your house right now and find a nearest park bench and set and and set yourself into how bad can I feel? Yeah. I think it's more common than you realize. I mean i in
1: my life like, I've gotten to some pretty dire moments. <laughs> <laughs> one in particular about seven years ago, but um, it, it would, I I don't have it in me to go there anymore. No, because no, that's that, that
0: what I wanted to hear from you. Yeah, I No, I'm not either.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I wouldn't believe it. Like I don't, I'm already able to see the path clearly enough to not take that suffering so deeply, seriously, and personally. So it's much more like
0: the line graph is like this, rather than like <clears throat> exactly, exactly. That's the point that I'm making here, yeah. and thank you for uh, stepping up to the challenge. <laughs> 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 yes, you're not there now, but there are Eckhart Tolle's out there. Uh, So um, it's better if we could have uh, mentioned that he doesn't have to destroy his life before he Mm. finds enough suffering Mm. to wake up to it. Mm. That he can, in fact, wake up to. In fact, the whole training is to wake up more and more and more to see it lighter and lighter and lighter Mm. so we can catch it before it has any effect at all.
2: Mm.
0: One last thing on that, which is kind of important that I haven't really talked to students nearly enough about, but Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is really big on this. And that is the concept of the little nirvana Mm. or that people are in void mind on a regular basis, or that people are not in fact suffering all the time at mm-hmm. either a small or a heavy level that there are times every day when every one of us comes out of our suffering and relaxes mm. sometimes that can be when someone takes a bite of food and they really enjoy that food mm. and they're just ah you know and just relaxed. so pleasurable a little libana or maybe when the old man comes home from work and he plops down in the easy chair and just ah, and he just goes into a state of pleasure every one of us does that from time to time Mm. every day from time to time and so part of your practice now should be incorporating the wake up so that when you wake up you wake up to find out you're already in a good state You don't have to wake up in dukkha and throw it out. You can wake up already in a good state, which I believe you're beginning to understand anyway, that I'm not telling you anything that you didn't already figure on your own. I'm just verifying that, That there are times throughout the day. Another way of looking at it is uh, in the sense of void mind, not being void of thoughts, but being void of unwholesome thoughts. Or being void of selfishness. Hmm. Well, this is like
1: being void of like attachment, right? So, like the thoughts are there, but you are not attaching around them in a, in a kind of clinging self thing. Right.
0: Exactly. So, and so these are common feelings, and people are, uh, many people, in fact, are naturally jovial. Hmm. They're in this state so much that they don't even want to hear about Buddhism. It doesn't make any sense to them. Mm. They're not really enlightened because they're not knowledgeable of the processes that are going on, but their processes that do go on are generally not very harmful for them. Mm. But for most of us, we're somewhere in between.
2: Mm.
0: But that, we can all need... come out of it. <laughs> I don't,
1: I don't like it. There's a thing in, in psychology. It's like they, they sort of suggest that people, by the time they become adults, have a kind of baseline hedonic state. And some people's baseline hedonic state is one of, as you kind of describing, content, jovial, friendly. Other people's baseline hedonic state is a much more kind of aversive place.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people's baseline is, oh, I've got to prove myself. I've really got to prove how, how good I am. Mm. And others who are even worse off will say, oh, I've got to prove to them, look how hard I tried, so I'm worthy of their mercy. Mm. And yeah, so that's... all of these kind of baselines there, but here's the thing about some of this stuff, and that is, is that the baseline has to do basically with uh, um, development, mm. psychological development in the sense of um, uh, the development of a child so that every child, according to Freud, every human adult is somehow stuck at one of these childish places. Mm. And so that will give them a kind of a personality, <clears throat> like an oral personality, an anal personality, mm. a phallic You've probably heard about all of this anyway. So now you're actually pointing it out because uh, in a more modern psychological system, they're beginning to also understand that teenagers are not mature enough at all to make the kind of adult decisions that they would make if they were 25. Yeah that there, there is a further development of this frontal cortex to where we actually begin to wake up and, and become adults. Mm. The problem is is that most individuals don't spend enough of their t- uh, hours, much, uh, much of their time with that thing open, awake, and fully functioning. And so we spend a lot of time in the reptilian brain back in the old childhood. Mm. Uh, especially, I would say, that one of the deepest ones, and I've been around several people like this, and it's called an abandonment issue.
1: Yes, they're saying a, a ta- the atta- attachment theory is like mm-hmm. a very interesting frame through which to see these developmental blockages. Mm-hmm.
0: So, the, and this is a kind of a worst case scenario, but that's often a way of, of uh, educating people. When we stay at the very subtle level all the time, we we'll often miss it, so we can come up with a really gross case. So the gross case is that the child uh, was not yet being very well taken care of, and so a worker who was working at a project nearby took the child at the age of three months and brought it home in Thailand. The mother, uh, 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 his wife assumed that this was the baby that was actually his child. And so the mother never accepted this baby. But in fact, kind of the whole family treated her as a servant. Mm. So this child now is growing up with a very heavy dose of um, abandonment issue, Mm -hmm. which means she's very, very clingy. Mm. Uh, and afraid that she will become abandoned again. Because mm. after all, the new family didn't really accept her, that the abandonment that she felt at three months mm. was total.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so now she's freaked out completely. And so one of the examples that will happen with someone who has abandonment issue, female, let's say is an example, is that when her newfound husband starts to go to work in the morning she gets freaked out about being abandoned and she begins to do any kind of thing she can to keep him at home so that she won't feel so bad that she really feels bad right after he leaves Mm -hmm. that relationship will not last unless this guy knows what's going on because she'll fight him she'll do anything she can to keep him at home and he doesn't understand because his mentality is, no i gotta go to work we'll take care of this later
2: mm-hmm.
1: see I, I can see in in my life how certain uh issues through that kind of around my early childhood and childhood led very very clearly to this kind of very big um what would you call it um, very big kind of psychological life breakdown kind of seven years ago I can see very clearly how like certain um, actions led to certain internal positions which then carried out and put under certain stresses resulted in this uh, kind of breakdown never mind um yeah so i can i can see that i can see that i'm i was in psychotherapy for um five six years my psychotherapist um
0: Go ahead. I'm listening. You were in psychotherapy. All right? everything all right? Is uh, it... Basically, the, the situation is, is that the neighbors who had a dog that they lost two or three, three or four years ago, they now have a new puppy. And that the puppy is getting introduced to the neighborhood.
2: Okay.
0: Including Poon Pui, And Poon Pui decided that she's going to introduce this puppy, introduce it to whose boss here. <laughs> <laughs> and look and poom Poo had found out very quickly it's the humans they're the ones who are the boss here <laughs> um but yeah what well,
1: um is interesting that that whole process led me into this kind of uh psychotherapeutic investigation with a psychotherapist who was a meditator and uh-huh. he, it's interesting he did he never kind of it, it was it's really interesting there was like this really um basically through from when I started with him I would suddenly kind of my my I suddenly started practicing yoga and then got into meditation and mm-hmm. then kind of and at every point when I would come to him with this thing I could see that there was like um anyway it it kind of got to the point in our sort of psychotherapeutic relationship where it was kind of appropriate for him to uh share some of his kind of story and background and it was it was just interesting it was he has a kind of very long and deep uh relationship with the tradition and with the practice of uh meditation and and the rest of it and it was just it was in- interesting because in the context of what we we're talking about, like the kind of suffering that kind of goes very, very deep back when we come to a point in our lives where we're able to engage with it. Mm-hmm. It's like th- at that moment, there's either there's like, there's like a, two ways it can go. It's like either you then stay with all of those issues and you make a big story about them and you, you identify with them and you, talk endlessly about it forever or you use the kind of the insight or the the your life experience as a way to kind of launch into the dharma or like kind of contemplative Mm -hmm. practice or that that real journey dukkha dukkha naroda or the it's like it can either become very selfish psychotherapy like it can either come to a point where you're obsessing about the self and you're Thing about your your history and your story or it can come to a point where you're able to engage with it you're able to be in a room with it you're able to breathe with it and you're able to kind of
0: start the real journey
2: from that right. point
0: well the whole process of psychotherapy though is a wake-up process yeah for but the client to keep waking up the thing. levels i feel well Part of the reason that that's true is because generally psychotherapy hasn't figured out the technique of sati yet, Mm. of repeatedly over and over and over and over again to wake up to what's happening. Keep waking Mm. up to what's going on. Keep looking at that stuff. That's the part that's missing is that um, uh, uh, often repeated uh, process that we actually intentionally sit down to practice. Just like you were talking about when you got drowsy, Mm. okay. Well, never mind, I'm not drowsy, and then I get drowsy again, and wait a minute, I'm not so drowsy, and and, then okay, and so back and forth and back and forth is just that wake up call. And every time we're doing that, that's exercising that sati muscle, Mm. waking up and keep waking up and keep waking up because the only alternative is. not waking up sure. at all um,
1: um,
0: repeatedly waking up over and over and over again that's the quality that psychotherapy is to, how you're, feeling,
1: right? to how
0: you're feeling and
1: what you're thinking and it it's interesting he would often in our sessions he would go he would just he would go what's going on what's going on for you right now and like if he would see that like you know I had zoned out, disassociated or was getting lost somewhere or whatever and I, at the beginning, I used to find the question infuriating.
0: Infuriating, right. When all he's always saying is ta-ta-ta, wakey-wakey. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, because when, you're, when your default setting is kind of, and I think for most humans it is, it's like not engaging with what's going on, mm-hmm. like being lost in it rather than looking at it. It's exactly. painful to be asked to stop going on those journeys and to stop and look and say what's going on.
0: Well, that psychotherapist did you a great favor by asking yeah. you that. And he probably did often. He asked you that often. on a regular. <laughs> and now you're asking yourself that's mm-hmm. the that's the right way of going. Yes. So we need a whole lot more of that in psychotherapy. Mm. Is to help the student to wake up to what they're doing. Look at what you're doing.
1: There, are, there is a big kind of current in Western psychotherapy that is being very informed by the Dharma. Like there are a yes. of psychotherapists who meditate, who are immersed in the Dharma, and who, you know, that's, channel it as a framework, whether consciously or unconsciously,
0: into their. That's exactly part of the rumbling of the mountain.
2: Mm.
0: that I think that I've mentioned to you but I've told other students about that uh, um, Some there's songs about it I think in West Side Story something's coming, something big mm. something's going on okay, the mountain is rumbling mm. and that mountain rumble has many different components, it has Christian components it's got racism components it's got People marching on the street components. It's got everybody loves Donald Trump components. It's got everybody hates Donald Trump components in it, and it's just <laughs> almost like a, um, a, a a a timpani symphony with all of this banging going on. Something's going to happen, mm. and I think that is. And part of that is the kind of an explosion with the dharma. Mm that is beginning to catch on and um, more and more people are, um, let us say, more and more ready for the supramundane dhamma, mm. because they've had it up to here with the magic. They want the real deal now. Many of them, will, it will take a long time, by the way, for people to feel, uh, to figure out That the real deal is often inexpressible on its own and therefore needs the help of um, artistry and um, um, uh, illustrations and other things like that. And also um, even using magic as an example or as a um, metaphor or as a method of teaching a truth or reality. It on its own, it's very difficult to learn. Mm. Now I invite you to look over your shoulder on the wall, and you'll get exactly what I'm talking about right now.
2: <laughs> yep,
0: that's it. That is a magical that's represent. World. Is a magical representation of a very, very profound way the mind works.
1: Mm. But it, it, you're right. It, it's hard. I've. I found interesting is like. You know, you when you first start sort of learning about the teachings of the Buddha, it all sounds so kind of um, it's like it's it, kind of like like incredible in some way. It's it's the process of starting to see like it at work in the kind of microscopic detail of your of your of your mental landscape and of your existence and in your relationships and suddenly ideas which seem like these kind of incredibly complex like you know like paticha samupada or or emptiness or non-self or impermanence or whatever like these ideas which perhaps seem kind of like maybe very philosophical very sure. abstract, but then suddenly seeing actually
2: in,
1: in a very personal and almost in a very mundane way right
0: these things actually exist exactly right in front of us. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But they are difficult to describe. The yeah. experience is difficult to describe. And so we use metaphors and concepts and pictures and all kinds of things to describe something that's literally undescribable. Hmm. It starts out with that quote of the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. I cannot give you the Dhamma directly. We've got to package it in a way that it can be delivered.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: It can't be delivered directly. But how somehow or another, by being around it and in the vicinity of it over a long period of time and it begins to rub off. That mm. is almost like if you're in a hot room, you begin to sweat.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, getting in that environment around uh, being in a in a temple, being around an Achenpo, uh spending time with uh, with with Dhamma friends is extraordinarily valuable. Mm. This is well known within uh, uh, the 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 Watson in, in Thailand, and yet we don't really have. A, a very established Dhamma community in the West. Yeah. Not the way that it's established in Thailand, mm. where anybody can walk into any wad and, and be at home very quickly. I'm, here, I'm excited
1: uh, to explore, cause I didn't like there. There are some really seemingly really lovely wats in England, in Southern England that I've never been to. And, you know, when they
0: oh, re- That's right. That would be very helpful if you would do research on the watch uh, and not just Thai, but there's I know there's Sri Lankan watch there because I know Sri Lankan people in England.
1: Yeah, there's a lot okay. of Sri Lankan people in
2: England.
0: Uh, and so the same may be true. I don't know if they'll have Laotian or Cambodian, but you will have certainly Thai watch. I know of three or four of them personally already anyway.
1: Yeah, like um Chitwurst. Chitwurst and mm-hmm. yeah and there's mm-hmm. one in yeah, sure. well. But it's interesting in, in relation to the I you know to the Dharma infrastructure project. Um mm-hmm. see they they are already offering retreats and already sort of teaching, right, with English right. language. Uh, you know senior teachers who are native english speakers
0: excellent we need to be the be friends with those guys we really that that's that's our meat and potatoes of our organization right there and we want to get even more westerners involved with that you see the asians how to say it The Buddha said it this way. I can even tell you which sutta it's in out of number of 139. But he mentioned that the Dhamma should be spoken in the native language of the audience. Mm. And that Asians, what we need to do is we need to get enough Westerners who understand the Dhamma well enough so that they can teach the Dhamma. Within the context, right there at the Watt, that, the, that, that like you're saying, that yeah, we've got a, a Western teacher. Not all the Watts in the United States have Western teachers. Sure. That's very, very rare. But England, merry old England, sometimes they do it right. Because <laughs> these tend to have been set
1: up by.
0: Well, they've been in that way. I mean, Amravati is set up by Westerners.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's the, what they tend to be set up by people who have spent 10, 20 years.
0: You're right. You're, you're, uh, right. you're yeah. in uh, Achan Semedo, Achan Amaro, Achan Pisano. Uh, you're in their, their neighborhood. And the same way with, with Chithurst. But there are other Watts in Thailand that would very much, uh, excuse me, in London, Thai Watts in London, that would very much like to uh, not compete with these other Watts. But to also offer open yeah. dharma to yeah. bring it up, to bring it out. But um, they might not have the
1: English language, or kind of, it. or not. Maybe not even the language. It's sort of like cultural language, right? Like it, harder for them to speak to Westerners because it's a right. new culture, or whatever. Yeah,
0: that's the very topic that I just sent you. Uh,
1: yeah, I saw that. um the message that noah had sent is very exciting that it's kind of jumping jumping out of the page now pardon (laughs) that it's like jumping out of the page right it's like uh, yes right when you see uh, the
0: rocket rolling out on the launch pad you said hot dog they've been busy (laughs) yeah yeah, that's the kind of stage. We haven't gotten anything off the ground yet, but we're uh, in the in the planning stage. Uh, we have Willie and Kobe, two Chinese gentlemen, both of them computer scientists, putting a web page together. Yeah. And uh, as you saw, uh, Noah is uh, uh, let us say all in for. It. Pardon.
1: Kind of dealing with it like the proof of concept, like trying to like. Actually, do one of these retreats, right? So that there's a kind of concrete example of the way it can work, and right. And we
0: got all the ingredients we need right here in Seattle.
1: Because mm. so Seattle has a very, very
0: established
1: kind of community of practitioners, right? right? That's
0: what that's what yeah. the word spud means there.
1: Seattle pragmatic. Dharma.
0: Underground.
1: (laughs) We've got the image of them practicing in bunkers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but don't you know where that bunker is? (laughs) (laughs) So this is what we're 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 working with uh, or playing with actually is uh, organization, because Putting together this kind of organization will bring the ground, the, the various folks that are doing various pieces of it, will bring them together to bring a, about a community of Westerners who know about the, uh, uh, the super mundane, non-magical Dhamma. And so we can have our own kind of community going or, mm-hmm. or Sangha. And it doesn't have to be locale, doesn't have to be a place, it can be um, uh, um on the web.
1: Mm. But it will be so much, it will be so mutually enriching, right? If there are like in real life locales as well as the more kind of global and yeah, remote. Yes,
0: exactly. Exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting. All right. Uh, I. I would prefer to use words like enthusiastic. Yeah, so it has a
1: a connotation of kind of subtle suffering in there, doesn't it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. But uh, uh, curiosity and uh, 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 a a feeling that something's, something's coming. Yeah. That now is not the time, but now is the time to be getting ready for something coming yeah we've got the coronavirus shut down every one of these watches shut yeah so when we o- when they open we'll come and have fireworks or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so yeah i think that we can help um a community because when i see uh dama, people going to reddit to find dama they generally find competition there. Mm-hmm. That one person will ask a legitimate question, somebody else will reinforce that question, and then they'll have a half a dozen people getting into a fight over who's got the better answer. And so it, it winds up being kind of ordinary. I mean, that that's, it's a marketplace now.
1: Mm. Well, I suppose the other thing, they'll have people coming from such a kind of wide variety of uh, practice traditions that as a beginner, it's very difficult to find the thread through, right? It seems like...
0: That's what we need to also work with, is there's a unity here.
2: Hmm. There's a
0: thread. There is a connection between Zen and uh, Theravada Buddhism in Thailand that is so strong that people don't recognize it. Mm. that zen people regularly come to thailand and i don't i guess thais go to no not so much to japan but uh zen's very big there there's also something really and you'd be interested in this the thai monks by and large many of them are into yoga
2: Mm.
1: is that like a, a kind of existing native tradition of movement practice within thailand or is it a kind of more recent interest and and kind it's of old. oh no
0: it's old mm-hmm. it's it's so oh you know you probably heard that in china they're on uh in early mornings in the parks they will have a group of old people doing tai chi yeah they do that in bangkok too
1: what do, there's they, a, do they do they call it what do they call it do they call it tai chi do they call it yoga do they
0: I honestly don't know. Yeah. You got me. I do not know the Thai word for Tai Chi, but I would have a um, a strong guess that it would be Tai Chi. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, the word Chi is a Thai word. Really? Okay. Uh, And it means exactly the same thing that you would expect in the other uh, languages for it to mean. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that Chi for life force or energy or... Uh, and it's associated with the breath, just like Tai Chi is. Hmm. But I'm not sure about the word Thai with it. Because for the Thai people, it's not Thai. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's Gen Chi or something, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, interesting. Um, But yes, the Tai Chi and yoga and all of that is um, practiced within the Asian community in Thailand. And the interesting thing about both Tai Chi and yoga is because of the cultural um, baggage around monks dancing.
2: mm.
0: The monks don't do the Tai Chi or the um, uh, uh, yoga in public it's uh, done way off in the, in, uh, on, on the side where uh, lay people are not looking and the reason that I know that was because uh, at Watson and Mok um, a German wanted to do Tai Chi and he was sent to meet the right monks and go to the right place and they did it together <laughs>
2: mm.
0: and so um yeah, those kind of practices are, are there. Uh, and so much more that is in the Thai culture that is, it seems when it got to the West, it became really disjointed. There is this and there is that and there's the other thing and this was better than that and this teacher's older than that one and all this kind of stuff. And there's much more friendship in the Asian way of uh, managing Watts and uh, dhamma and and all of that. Uh, That was, I thought, especially true in the United States. Uh, And I thought in fact that it was even more true in the Vietnamese system because we had a whole lot more Theravada monks at uh, Vietnamese temples than we had Vietnamese monks in Theravada temples. But they did go both directions. Mm. And also in Vietnam, Mahayana and Theravada have already been put together. That mm. was required by the government mm. to stop infighting and stop having two different Buddhisms. In, uh, and so uh, they have successfully merged with no problems at all. A very minor. Mm. Not not doctrinal problems, but rather uh, political issues, but not mm. much. So uh the whole quality of Asia is is that Dhamma is one and we're all Dhamma brothers, even if we practice differently. Mm. But in America, oh no, it's uh my tissue paper is better than yours, and my dog's better than yours because it eats kennel kind of ration. And there's just so much competition with. Yes, me. I think
1: you're yeah. you're right about right. the marketplace element. Like that that is what if 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 everything is a marketplace, then it's natural that things compete, right? Like if if the marketplace is the kind of dominant
0: paradigm,
1: then competition will follow.
0: Well. As a kickoff, then for the end of this talk, let's talk a bit just about that um, uh, video that I had just sent around mm-hmm. on the guy that his name is uh, Richard Wolff, and I call him the Buddha Dasa of Economics mm-hmm. because he is, in fact, teaching Dhamma,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> socialism, Marxism. Marxist Dhamma is really great. It's almost so brilliant that I said, I got to teach that one and I got to teach this. And I said, wait a minute, I'll just send the whole thing and let everybody get a load of it. And so uh, this is a way that we can begin to fin- uh, to change society. Something big is coming. And that if we can find, in fact, the Dhamma may help uh, um, push along the whole idea of uh, owner cooperatives i think mm-hmm. that england is further along than the united states about uh taking businesses away from a single owner or a uh, board of directors and let the whole business become democratic
1: there there's a history of that in britain but sadly it's that paradigm has from the 1880s onwards so you know it's it's sort of in the descendancy where it, I it, mean, needs,
0: no. it needs help yeah, there is a
1: tradition of that, yes.
0: Yes, and it, and it needs help. We need to help wake that up uh, uh, to bring Dhamma to the West. Mm. And uh, the horse that it rides is socialism. Mm.
1: Well, in Britain, unlike America, socialism is not a kind it's of... a
0: dirty word. Socialism is a dirty word in the United yeah. States, right? It's un-American. It's uh, that's the- if America is greed, 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 suffering more greed, more suffering. Then yes, that's <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and they need help. Yeah. and this this is part of the and they know that they need help. Everybody, that's what the mountain is rumbling. There is change in the wind. There is an energy building. And that energy, let's make sure that it doesn't just explode and blow all over the place. Mm. Let's see if we can channel some of that energy into something useful. So let's get the Dhamma together in the West. Let's take the capital out of it. Yeah. And the ism too. (laughs) Or the me mm. All right, so enjoy that uh, film. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to what happens next. I haven't actually asked you to do anything in particular yet, but I'm thinking that you might find something that you want to do once we get going.
1: I'm very happy to write anything, to like write letters to people, to to write or research, like any of that. I'm very happy to.
0: OK, well, the writers group in this crowd is Tim and Agnes. OK. So
2: you,
0: you, it would be great if you could get in it with them. And then mm-hmm. later we can do some database research. There's a lot of research that needs to be done, including... uh getting the email addresses of all of the uh, Dhamma teachers that we can find. Yeah. And that's not just one person's job. That's going to be everybody's job. But we want a very, very long, complete list of Dhamma teachers in the West. If you if you can't shut up about the Dhamma and you've got an email address, we want it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, I can. I'll. Shall I speak to Tim and Agnes about coordinating? Uh, or between us, kind of thinking about what what can be done and and having a look at that. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you have their Skype connections? Uh, no. All have no. that okay. But you yeah. do have their emails. Great. Yes. All right, Matt. Well, we'll see okay. you later. All right. You. All right. Uh, you enjoy your daughter, cause you've got work with her to do. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'll be with her in an hour or so. <laughs> be well, Damaratu. Thank you very
2: much.
0: Okay, see you. Bye bye.